The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. You are listening to the Pet Buzz directly from the EpiPet Studios. Here we deliver to you each week the best in pet talk radio, don't we, Dr. Flynn? We absolutely do. Okay, so, you know, I always start out with a little daily musings when we do the show. So I'm going to opine a little bit before we get started, but I have two pet peeves that I want to share with you. Uh The first is putting your dog in a cart at Walmart, Target, or any other store like a supermarket. So, you know, let's be honest, folks, you know, most service dogs are allowed in these stores. Most pet dogs aren't allowed. So I know people like to put their service dogs, their emotional support dogs in these wagons. Sometimes you've seen that in the supermarket when they have the dog has the vest on or in the big box store. Right. Okay. It really bothers me that people put dogs in the cart. Okay, because that's where you have your vegetables. That's where you have your food. That's where you have, you know, all sorts of stuff that you're going to eat. So it's really not hygienic for you to be pushing your dog around in the cart. If you do bring a towel. okay, I don't even like a towel. If you have your it's better if you have your dog in a carrier bag and then put the dog in the carrier bag in the cart. So, I mean, you know, I think it really boils down to remembering their their role. Put the dogs on the floor. Now, I have a service dog, and if I do take him in the supermarket, I don't really want people, I don't want to draw any attention to him, so I keep him in a carrier bag. Here's my second pet peeve of the week, and normally I don't have pet peeves with people, but, you know, so the second one is I was at a a plaza down the street, you know, where the TJ Maxx Home Good first watches down on 75th Street, and I was waiting outside for my friend Brigitte to come, and not more than three feet from the entrance of the restaurant was dog poop. Now, this is a very clean plaza over there. You know what I'm talking about, Dr. Fletcher. And somebody had left their dog poop right there. It was drying out and it was disgusting. So I always suggest that if you are going to take your dog to a restaurant, and we love to do that because it's fun and we love to have our dogs with us. Why don't you bring dog bags Walk your dog away from the entrance so that it can eliminate itself before or after, you know, you enjoy the restaurant. Um, But don't let him eliminate near the restaurant. You know, I, I think the big picture here was really what I'm trying to say. You know, summer, we're out more. We're having a good time. The key is you want to be courteous to others. And remember, you don't want to spoil it. The opportunity to go to these places for other dog owners. So, you know, we want to we want dogs to be welcome in a lot of places. So we have to mind our manners. Now, that's actually a quote from my alter ego, Miss Fido Manners. So I tell everyone Mm -hmm. for good dog manners, check out my book, The Miss Fido Manners Complete Book of Dog Etiquette. It's a great primer for good dog manners everywhere and in every situation. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Fleck? I strongly agree with that. Plus, what's happening to the shopping cart when the pet leaves? Right. Plus, I agree with part two. Part two is about having doggy bags. I love it when I see 
leads and they've got these little bags with all the little bags inside of them because I know that they care about the environment. Okay, so we've got a great show planned. So let's kick off the show with our weekly countdown. Well, in segment four, University of Florida's Dr. William Kern talks about rodenticide, bromethalin, and why pet owners should not use it. Three, in seg three, Dr. Anastasia Flazova, a veterinarian and virologist at Ohio State University, discusses about how a new canine coronavirus has infected people and its implications. Very important. Two, in this portion of the show, we feature the celebrity pet buzz. And of course, the not to be missed, Flex Facts. And in segment one, I got to tell you, he's handsome. He's also hot and spicy. Uh-oh, but here we go, talking about me. Uh-oh, uh-oh. not you. But most uh-oh. importantly, the winner uh-oh. of the 145th Annual Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. I'm talking about Wasabi. Wasabi. The lovely Pekingese owned by my friend, breeder owner, handler, David Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania. Such a fun show to watch this Such year, too. Such a great show oh, to watch. Oh, boy. Okay. So, David, congratulations on your incredible win with Wasabi. He's such a beautiful and sound Pekingese. You know, I've said this to you before, but you've told me a long time ago that now I'm a member of an exclusive club. <laughs> and, you know, and I always laugh because when I, I specifically think about that and, you know, but as twice winner, first with Malachi, of course. What was that, about five years ago? No, 2012. 2012. Oh, my. Wow. And I haven't aged a bit. Oh, okay. boy. Love that. Uh-huh. Neither is David. And now with Wasabi. <laughs> now, Wasabi's his grand dog, correct? Correct. He's okay. a grandson of Malachi. OK, so of the second oldest sporting event in the United States, I would say you have achieved senior status in a <laughs> in like the the VIP room with other great handlers like Michelle Scott, Gabrielle Rangel. Bill McFadden, Scott Summers, and a few others, m- many of which whom are dead. But, you know, I'm curious, and we talked about this. What was the first thing that popped into your head when they announced you and Wasabi as the winners of the 145th Westminster Kennel Club? I was just so overwhelmed. I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe this. <laughs> Was- Wasabi's one best in show. And I thought this is like lightning striking twice. I thought this, you know, I just, I had to compose myself not to really, you know, become tearful because you have to remain professional, of course, and you have a lot of duties. But I was, I I really was overwhelmed with emotion. I I was just shocked. I'm still shocked. (laughs) No, I mean, I remember when you won watching it on television, I was thinking, you know, you're a relatively calm person. I've known you for a while now. (laughs) And it was kind of like, you kind of like blinked and was like, say what? We in which, which world are we in? <laughs> I mean, it was kind of crazy. Which, which it was, up, was. Let, let's back up a step. As you walked into the best in show ring, did you think that you could win? Why or why not? I didn't think we could win. I knew I had a great dog. I knew he was in a good mood and would probably show very well. But I really thought that, um, you know, it wouldn't be our time. You know, I thought we had our day and I didn't think we would have the good fortune, like I said, of lightning striking twice. And when I saw Mrs. Trotter in the center of the ring, you know, then, too, I, I felt emotional because Mrs. Trotter had won the 
town group at Westminster 11 times. And she never was able to get a best in show, even though she had some most deserving dogs. I thought, um, you know, how appropriate that she, who couldn't win the best in show, but deserved it, now has a very well-deserved assignment of judging the best in show. So, it was, you know, it just... It was just sort of an emotional situation for for someone that knew the history, you know, of Mrs. Trotter. And, and then at that point, I just said to myself, David, chill out. You know, it's an honor to be in this ring, which it was. Enjoy the moment. There's a lot of wonderful dogs in here. And just enjoy it. You're, you know, you've done this. You've had your best in show. Relax and enjoy the moment, which is, which is really what, what I did. You know, I always say this when David walks into the ring, a lot of times when we're at these best in show situations, because Wasabi has, you know, tiny little legs, he's a peak, you know, David walks slowly because of this tiny little dog with these tiny little, you know, legs and, you know, everyone runs in and they're galloping and everything. And the funny thing about David, and I don't even know if he does this, but because he walks slower, it's like you take he just brings everything a notch down. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I've seen David in the ring so many times. That's for me a highlight because I just like I said, he just commands the arena. It kind of gives you like you just kind of step back and you're like you take a break. You know, you stop talking about <laughs> who's in the ring. It's fantastic. And, and so I'm so happy to learn more about David Fitzpatrick and Wasabi. You have to visit PeakQuest. That's P-E-Q-U-E-S-T dot com. Up next, Celebrity Pet Buzz. Then what you've been waiting for, Flex Facts. And tonight's best in show to the Pekingese. Whoa, David Fitzpatrick. Wasabi, Wasabi <laughs> takes it. Wasabi is the best in show winner. There's only one, and that's the one. The Pekingese Wasabi. <laughs> When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com. They call me Prince like I'm royalty or something. But the places I've lived ain't no palaces. So I don't need grilled salmon or a new scratching post. Just give me a cardboard box and a can of tuna and we're good. You can even change my name. I'm cool being the kitty formerly known as Prince. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. 
Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. for joining us on the Pet Buzz. As you know, the show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. You know, I gotta, I gotta like dish. I gotta dish in this segment about what's going on with some of these celebrities. So I'm gonna start with news from across the pond. We've been getting a lot of news from Europe, especially the UK. So we <laughs> all love celebrities, but if they are super good looking, we are really in love. So I gotta tell you about one of my favorite soccer players, David Beckham. You know, he's married to former Spice Girl, Victoria. Okay, so recently he shared a shirtless video of himself on Instagram, all his tattoos, his muscles. It was kind of cool. Teaching his English Cocker Mm. Spaniel some tricks. Now, this Mm. video gives new meaning to give me some paw. I'm going to make sure it's on our social media channels. I want you to check it out. And if you love David Beckham like I do, this is this is really a self-service information piece. That's okay. He's good looking (laughs) enough. Okay, so there's some more news from across the pond. It's about Queen Elizabeth. You know, so much angst in her life lately. You know, as you know, we talked about the queen getting gifted with these two dogs. Remember, uh, Muck and Fergus, and they were actually a gift by Prince Andrew, something he's done recently. That's uh, that gets him high snaps. Okay, so the, the dogs were really brought in to cheer her up during this difficult period, you know, the loss of her husband, Prince Philip, and then problems with uh, her grandson, Harry, living here in the United States. While the pup named Fergus, a dorgy, which is a cross between a corgi and a dachshund, died unexpectedly last month. So, and it was left her devastated, especially since Prince Philip just died. So for her 95th birthday, Prince Andrew, with the help of his daughters, princesses Beatrice and Eugenia, gave her another reason to smile. They gifted her with a new Corgi puppy. Well, the new dog's name has not been revealed, but when we find out what it will be, we will share it with y'all. What a nice end to a story. I know, really. Okay, now what everyone's been waiting for. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. You got the time. Flex facts. So, Dr. Fleck, what are we going to be talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that most people really don't think about, but they should. Summer paw care. Love that. That's a great topic. You know that four-footed friends need special attention during the summer. If you didn't, you're going to learn now. Summer is the time when you can be more active and really enjoy the fun of having a pet. Going for long walks, vacationing together, perhaps swimming. Hiking, playing catch with a ball or a frisbee like the Michigan State University Mm -hmm. football dog. Okay. So the condition of your dog's paws is key to a well-being for the dog. When the heat is on, make sure your dog's paws stay cool and clean and that you prevent injury to their soft pads. What's tip number one? Don't let him or her sweat it. Did you know that when dogs become overheated? They sweat from their paws. I did know that. Okay. While panning is the first clue that he needs to cool off, 
a trail of doggy footprints and not from water should also move you to some action. Okay. So get your dog out of the sun and into an air-conditioned space if possible. Then moisten a washcloth and wipe down his face and paws with cool water. Okay. So let's talk about walking the dog because that's very key to paw care. Walk your pooch when it's cooler. Asphalt pavement and sandy beaches can get terribly hot when the temperature soars. With prolonged exposure to these surfaces, your pet's paws could get scorched. To avoid that, take your dog to a pet-friendly park and walk him on the grass. Oh, much better. That's great advice. The best times in summer for long walks and exercise are early in the morning and just before sunset when it's still light outside. And we tell everybody that in this state of Florida. Yeah. Okay. Because it gets real hot here, but it's good because you still want to be able to see. Yes. So that's very key. Okay. So what else do we have to know? So if you hear clickety-click every time your dog walks, his nails need to be shortened. Ask your veterinarian to show you how to trim them and to recommend the best tools for the job. And that is especially key, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Okay. If hair pokes out between the pads, they need to be trimmed as well. We call that feathering. Right. And also, it's a great idea if you're going to do that yourself, go to the drugstore and buy the smaller scissors with the rounded tips so that you don't stab your dog. Great recommendation. Okay. Great recommendation. So now let's talk about, let's talk about what advice when that you should, that you should engage in when, when you're walking. If you're going to take your dog for a walk, I mean, come on, be practical about this. Look ahead for broken glass and other sharp objects that could break the skin and cause a laceration. So when these lacerations are smaller than say a half an inch, maybe about that, you can probably clean them up and add a little antibacterial wash and wrap it with a light bandage. But for deeper paw cuts, visit the vet. Okay, Uh, we're almost done. What about tip five? How about limping? Okay, what about it? Sometimes dogs in the countryside pick up prickly burrs that lodge itself in between the paw pads. Oh, that's happened to my dogs. Lots of times, especially if we take them to the beach around here. Tweezers may remove them. If your pet's gait is off, inspect those paws real closely for foreign objects and injuries indicated by some swelling, redness, and discharges. Okay, big thing. What about cracked dry paws? Always check for them for cracked paws. Uh, Walking on hot, hard ground can dry your dog's paws, which may lead to some cracking. Mm -hmm. Examine his paw pads to make sure that they're soft. If not, moisturize them by rubbing in a little bit of petroleum jelly or a moisturizing solution like EpiPet spray. It won't hurt them if they lick it. Speaking of licking, dogs lick their paws for different reasons. Some, it relieves stress. For others, especially ones that take up the habit in summer, Allergies may be the culprit. So contact with grasses, weeds, and pollens is a common source of irritation. And once your dog comes inside, tracking that substance into the house can prolong the discomfort. So one way to combat this is to moisten a washcloth with gentle dog shampoo or use pet wipes only. Don't use human wipes. Use the pet wipes only and wipe down the paws after the walk. Great advice, great advice, because you never know what else they're going to pick up on their paws. Pesticides, fertilizers, you know, remember we did that interview a long time ago about 
wiping your dog's paws off when you get in the house. Set your wipes by the door. Every yeah. time they come in, wipe them. That's a, you know, that's a great tip. That's really a great tip. Or you can even buy a very inexpensive foot bath because I have one outside my door. Okay. And that's all the flex facts for the week. Hey, Dr. Flex, that was a really good flex facts. And by following your advice, Fido and I can make the most out of the summer season. And you can too. So I want to remind everyone to call their veterinarian if their dog is hurt or his condition worsens with any type of paw injury, because that's really key. Up next, the best Father's Day gifts. Stick around. More of the pet buzz very soon. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy is going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. You know, you're listening to the best in pet talk radio. This is the pet buzz. That's the way it has to be, because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. You know, I always like to tell you something good. Remember that song? Tell me something good. Remember? Well, this story is completely a wonder. This incident took place. Earlier in the month of South Africa, it seems that Byron and Melissa Theraran are lucky that their seven-year-old Staffordshire Bull Terrier, Jesse, was there to save the life of their 13-year-old Pomeranian, Chucky. So check this out. In harrowing footage caught on the video camera, Chucky falls in the pool as he's walking around the <laughs> perimeter. Okay, at first, no one is around to see him. After a few minutes, Jesse, the younger dog and the bigger dog, comes from the house and begins circling in the pool and following Chucky is flailing in the water. Jesse begins to try to grab a hold of Chucky from the pool's edge and remove him from the water. Well, the video doesn't show Jesse's entire rescue. 
it took the bigger dog about 30 minutes to save the smaller dog. I mean, that's a long time. They're probably exhausted. Yeah, probably. The clip does show the moment that Jesse pulls her older sibling to safety with her teeth. It was only when the couple got home and found the pups covered in water did they check the security video to find out what happened. So I love that story. I do too. And I'm just curious, you guys at home, do you think your dog would try to save another dog, another dog sibling in your house? Well, if so, tell me something good. Tweet, post, or email us at team at the because we want to know. And there's a possibility we could talk about it next week. I bet you there's innumerable cases that it's happened. Sure, sure. And I love that. So that's why we always want to know what's going on at your house. That's really good. So a new coronavirus, Dr. Fleck, has been discovered, and it may have jumped to humans from dogs. And our next guest is here to enlighten us about this new, I don't know if it's saga in the coronavirus manual or what. Yes. Joining us to talk about this new coronavirus development is Dr. Anastasia Vlasova, a veterinarian and virologist at Ohio State University. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. Thanks, Dr. Flack and Charlotte, for having me here. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you. So how did this new coronavirus study come about and what were the protocols? So um, the study, the original study was led by Dr. Gray's uh, group from Duke University. And they were collaborating with their colleagues from Malaysia. And they were looking into causes of uh, widely prevalent pneumonias in um, Sarawak region in Malaysia. So they, um, they developed a very sensitive assay, which is called reverse transcription um, polymerase chain reaction. And that can virtually detect very tiny amount of uh, viral or bacterial nucleic acids. So they did find various pathogens in addition to coronavirus. Okay. So talk a little bit about this, you know, what the study, I guess, revealed that some of the samples that they were testing had this kind of interesting or funky new canine coronavirus. Right. So what they were screening, those were nasopharyngeal swabs from pneumonia patients. So it was not some random selection of patients. Those were um, patients with pneumonia and hospitalized. So they found different uh, respiratory uh, respiratory viruses, including uh, influenza, parainfluenza, respiratory syncytial, and a proportion of coronaviruses. Among those coronaviruses, they found human isolates and some canine coronavirus isolate uh, strains that uh, were not known previously to infect people. Isn't that crazy, Dr. Fleck? They literally found canine coronaviruses in people. Yeah, I think Dr. and I know that it's not totally surprising that they can find a lot of these different groupings of viruses in people as well as in, in pets. So how do we know how the humans who have this strain got infected? So, uh, of course, this uh, patients were hospitalized for pneumonia, so um, they started looking for what might have caused it, and they tried, it, tried treating them with antibiotics, and they couldn't. So um, they started looking for viral pathogens, and that's what they found. Of course, just finding a fragment of the coronavirus genome does not mean it was a productive infection yet. So it could be an environmental contamination. It could be, a, you know, an operator mistake. 
So that was verified multiple times, and they, yet they came back with the same result. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is that it wasn't just a straight canine coronavirus. It had feline corona and pig corona in there too mixed in? That's right. That's what coronaviruses do, unfortunately. Besides just, you know, accumulating uh, uh, random mutations along their genomes, they have an ability to recombine, which means they exchange parts of the larger parts of their genomes. So, and those canine coronaviruses, at least this lineage of canine coronaviruses that our uh, strain is related to, it does have fragments of canine, feline, and porcine coronavirus in its spike protein. And spike protein is the one that interacts with the host cells. Wow, isn't that crazy? Yeah, we don't want to confuse our listening audiences here either because, Doctor, the coronavirus is really a, a, a grouping of viruses. So it could be a lot of different uh, fragments of different types of coronavirus. So why do you think pet owners and animal handlers and agricultural industry workers, why do they need to keep abreast of these developments? So what happens after coronavirus in, infects a uh, animal coronavirus, infects a human, it doesn't become automatically a human pathogen, but it has a chance to become in the future if it's not controlled, if, if you don't survey for this virus. So for example, we need to know this virus is very well, what their biological characteristics, how prevalent they are, how can they be treated? So, and in this case, if we study very well the viruses on animal-human interface, we can eventually detect pre-pandemic strains before they get the ability to spread very efficiently from human to human. So our epidemiological research or medical or clinical research is not at that level. That's why we need to do more studies on coronaviruses that we can get from animals. So not to be threatened, but just to be aware. Yes. And especially places where large numbers of dogs or other pets can be gathered together, like hospitals, shelters, dog shows. I would definitely increase uh, surveillance there. But again, not to spread the panic, but just to know what's happening. Because with these viruses, you just, if you don't look for them, you will not find them. And that's what's been happening for many years, I think. Okay, so I guess to wrap it up, what's next? More studies coming down the pike based on this? Yes. Yep, I, I think we'll all be reviewing all this information that's coming out from your studies. All of us are very interested in it. Dr. Vlasova, thank you so much for sharing all that information with us today. And it was really a fascinating and thought-provoking interview, don't you think? And, and tells everybody they need to stay aware of what's going on. Exactly. And not, panic and, and not panic. And not panic and actually do some reading and look at the research. Well, just to remind you, that was Dr. Anastasia. Vaslova, a veterinarian and virologist at Ohio State University, discussing how a new canine coronavirus has infected people and, of course, its ongoing implications. For more information, I want you to check out news.osu.edu. That's Ohio State's news feed. And then you can learn more about this study. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. 
You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Sure, I'm a little rough and tough. Somebody's got at me. I like the outdoors. Camping, boating, riding in your truck with my head out the window. Yeah, I'll poop outside. Doesn't everyone? A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy is going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless golden retrievers and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Well, I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to say it all the time. We're urban. Suburban. And and country. country. So, you know, Dr. Fleck, this is the time of the year that many of us are working in our gardens. And as a result, we're not only planting flowers, but we're dealing with potential problems like uh, we might have insects eating Mm -hmm. our foliage. In other cases, we may see rats who frequent our yards to eat our fruits that we're growing as well as our vegetables. But whatever insecticides or redenticides that we use, we need to be careful, especially if we are pet owners. So joining us today is Dr. William Kern. He is an associate professor in the Department of Entomology and Nematology at the Fort Lauderdale Research and Education Center of University of Florida. So Dr. Kern, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. Thank you. When searching for insecticides and rodenticides, what do you have to be careful of, especially if we have pets? Well, with any pesticide, the most important thing is to read the label. And I'm afraid that's one of the problems that people have. Rodenticides are designed to kill mammals. And most of our pets are mammals. So it is very important that you follow all the label directions. Okay, so unlike the long-acting anticoagulant, mouse, and rat poison, we have seen an uptick, or it's making a comeback of, I think it's called bromethalin. Is that what it's called? Bromethalin. Bromethalin, thank you. So tell us about bromethalin. I need to give you a little bit of history first. In the past, starting in about the 1950s, they started using anticoagulants for rodent control because it is safer than the things that we used before. I mean, we were using arsenic and cyanide and 
all kind of other highly toxic substances for rodent control. But in the 1950s, after uh, warfarin came out, we started using anticoagulants. And they kept getting better and better. And then we had what were called the second generation single dose anticoagulants. And those were things like bromodialone, brodificome, and a few others. And of course, because they were very widespread, we had accidents. We were having problems with pets and wildlife being poisoned by these compounds. Especially, we had a problem with secondary toxicity. You know, a hawk or an owl or a cat or a dog ate a rat that was poisoned, and the poison was still in the animal and then poisoned the second animal, you know, the predator or the scavenger that ate it. So EPA decided, you know, we needed to restrict those compounds. And uh, about 10 years ago, they did that. They, they actually put restrictions on those second-generation single-dose anticoagulants. So it was a means of reducing access to the, the rodenticide rather than making it, you know, outlawing it or making it a restricted-use product. So it became restricted access. Well, because of that, we started looking at the other available rodenticides. And bromothalin was uh, one of the, the very active new rodenticides. It's, it's relatively new, probably 20 years old or so. It is not an anticoagulant. It is a mitochondrial poison. So it's going to affect things like muscles and nerves that have large numbers of mitochondria. That's why you tend to get uh, some neurological symptoms with it. So. What are the symptoms if your pet ingests the rat bait? Well, the big problem with bromothalin is very often there are no symptoms for 24 to 36 hours. And then you start seeing the symptoms of tremors, inability to move properly. They'll become lethargic and eventually it will result in death. Which brings up my final question. Any lasting advice? For our pet owner listening audience? People just need to follow the label, which means if you're going to put bromothalin around your house, it has to be in a tamper-proof bait station. That's a station that is safe from a six-year-old child or a dog from either getting into the station or shaking the poison out. And this is all intended to protect children, pets, livestock, and wildlife, which is what it says on the label. So again, tamper-proof bait stations. You know, they're, they're not inexpensive, but the good thing about these bait stations is they will normally last for decades. So it's a, it's a one-time cost. And then you can safely use any, any of the rodenticides that you want to by following the label directions. The other thing um, that I even recommend is when you're going to your Home Depots or your big box stores, you know, a lot of times you find that people who work at these places like to recommend various products. They might not necessarily know what's in them. So it's always a good idea when you're in the store buying to check the ingredients. If you don't know what it is, this is why this has become a 
although it's a pain sometimes, it's a valuable tool. Look up the ingredients. You mean your iPhone. Your iPhone or your, you know, not your iPhone, maybe your Android. Look up the ingredients and make sure you know what's in there. Because that not only will save you money, it'll save you tons of money, especially if your dog or cat does ingest. And we know those vet bills, right, Dr. Kern, Dr. Fleck? They can be really expensive. And especially since there's not an antidote. And like Doc says, follow the instructions. instructions. That's so important. (laughs) It's great to have this information now. Yeah, now. And also, you know, definitely take heed because we know in the summertime, obviously, we talked about fruits and vegetables, you know, and the rats Mm -hmm. coming. But also when the weather gets cold, Dr. Kern reminded me of this. When the weather gets cold, especially a lot of the mice and the rats want to look for places to hang out, warmer places. So maybe your roof, maybe inside your house. Right, Dr. Kern? Correct. The other thing I I would recommend for the homeowner is rather than using rodenticide, if at all possible, use traps. Snap traps work very efficiently. And if you put the snap traps in a station and they now make stations that will not just hold bait, but will also hold traps. Um, And that way you can keep non-target wildlife and pets and kids out of the traps. And remember that the rat that is in your yard maybe eating the fruit in your trees, he's living in your attic or underneath your porch. So when he dies, you may have an odor problem. That's why I prefer using traps whenever possible. And they have some really cool traps now. They've got uh, electrocuting traps that use a couple of uh, uh, batteries. I think they use four AA batteries, which kill the animal quickly and humanely. And then all you have to do is just put them in a paper bag, roll it up, then put it in the trash can. Oh, yeah. okay. All the things that we're learning. Yeah. We love this. Thank you for all this great information. We needed it. Thank you. Yeah, we definitely appreciate Dr. Kern's expertise. And you know what? Great gonna, ideas. Dr. Kern is really in, knows all about beekeeping. So we're going to have to have him oh, back because we love okay. 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 Well, everyone, that was Dr. William Kern, Dr. Kern, an associate professor in the Department of Entomology and Nematology at Fort Lauderdale Research and Education Center of the University of Florida, discussing why bromethalene should not be a rodenticide to use if you have a dog or a cat. So take heed, follow the label instructions, get the bait trap, right? Yep. And bring your iPhone to the store when buying. (laughs) Just so are your Androids, you can do some information. What great information. I know. So for more information about Dr. Kern, visit ufl.edu. And for more information about this particular rodenticide, visit aspca.org or petpoisonhotline.com. That was a great interview. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Hey, Dr. Fleck, you know, it's we got to wrap up the show. Special thanks to our guests, David Fitzpatrick, Dr. Anastasia Vlasova, and Dr. William Kern. Of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Don't forget, if you buy EpiPet products using the Pet Buzz as your code, you'll receive 25% off on all the great products, including shampoos, skin and coat sprays, sunscreen, 
ear cleaner and supplements for your dogs and cats. But if you have a question, write to us at team at petbuzz.com. We'll cover it next week on our show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the Link podcast and Monday morning. Most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.